Welcome to season three of V Love Hub, a podcast about life after 40, or what to expect when you can no longer expect. I'm Ann Katari. And I'm Liz Ilgenfritz. In this series, we'll be talking about sexual well being for women in midlife and beyond. If you're enjoying our podcast, please rate and review us. Thanks. V Love Hub. Welcome to V Love Hub. Today, who do we have, Liz? There are four amazing women here today, and I would love to ask you to introduce yourselves one by one. Hi, I'm Erica. I'm one of the co owners of Solstice Physiotherapy. I'm Lexi. I'm a physical therapist here. I'm Claire. I'm also a physical therapist here. And I'm Kara. I'm also a co owner of Solstice. And we're just missing Emma. Emma, who's here in spirit. Well, we're super thrilled to have this whole amazing team here. Um, Kara and Erica and I met a while back. Um, I don't even remember who introduced us, but um, it was around working together regarding the work that I do with Yoga for the Pelvis and all the amazing work that you do um, with um, pelvic floor physical therapy. And to that end, let me just give you, all the listeners, a little bit of an overview of what these amazing women do. At Solstice Physiotherapy, they specialize in pelvic health. Their goals are to restore function and eliminate pain so that patients can improve their daily functionality. They treat a complex part of the body by integrating their knowledge of orthopedics, bladder, bowel, and sexual function to fully understand the entire person. Okay, we got very interested when we heard the word sexual. Um, it's the topic of this podcast. And they use an interdisciplinary approach, focusing on communicating with the with other specialists and providers that the women use to create a, a really great treatment plan and provide the best care for their patients. And I have found this in my work with these uh, great women to be really true. During the pandemic, I did a really fun series of workshops together. We did two, right? Yeah. We did two different ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, integrating the Q&A information from Solstice Physio and a little um, workshop about the pelvic floor that we did. So we're excited to continue our conversation and talk about sex and menopause and amazing, important things for our listeners. So welcome. It feels so long ago that that happened, right? (laughs) COVID. Yeah, it was. I feel like so much has happened. Yeah, it has. Yeah. So much has happened in the whole world, it feels like, of... um, the whole conversation, the whole collective conversation of sexuality has really expanded. I'm super curious to see how that's affected um, your work as well. Um, Anne, do you want to start with any question for our ladies? Sure. Let's, let's go with the first question is um, what are some of the most common complaints you see and how do they affect uh, women's sexual well-being? So we see a lot of Um, pelvic pain, vaginismus, abdominal pain, constipation. Overall, pelvic pain definitely affects, you know, sexual drive, libido. If your whole body's in pain, you're going to have a lower libido. I mean, if your muscles are in spasm and they're tight, you're going to have less blood flow to the to your clitoris, to these, this whole area, you're going to lubricate less, and you're just going to have overall less desire. So the pain, pelvic pain component generates a ton of sexual dysfunction, which we definitely see a lot of in women. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through, um, you know, I always like to say, when we share stories, we normalize the conversation. And one woman who's experiencing something just feels less alone when we understand 
the little bit of an arc of the story that other women go through. So can you tell us a little bit about what is it like when a woman comes to you? Can you maybe paint uh, an anecdotal picture? Yeah, so patients will come in, they like usually had been to other providers, maybe they'll they'll either mention to a provider, oh, I have pain with sex or pain isn't that enjoyable. Um, or sometimes they don't bring it up at all because they don't feel comfortable, but somehow they end up in our office, either from a provider, from Google, um, and they'll come to us and they'll be like, no one has addressed this. I have pain with sex. I can't have penetrate, penetrative sex. Um, and they're, sometimes we're the first people that they tell. Sometimes we're the first people that like explain to them why it's even happening, that it's actually muscular, that it's a physical problem. It doesn't have anything, you know, it's not something like a glass of wine would cure or... Or to relax. <laughs> Are people be still being told that these days? Yes, or or they have it like for years and then they're finally like ready to get it treated Mm -hmm. too we'll we'll get that aspect of it as well um or they realize okay now i want to have a kid and i can't have penetrative sex so then they'll like it depends Mm -hmm. on the type of patient right like they'll then they'll want to like get it handled Mm -hmm. or it's out in like the media more now too so i think people are realizing right like oh actually this isn't normal i didn't realize that yeah Let's say if I was that patient, what would be the first thing that you would do? So we do like a lot of education um, first off. So we we talk about uh, normal bowel habits because constipation can cause um, a tight pelvic floor or having IBS or a lot of loose stool. So we go through bowel stuff with them. Then we talk about their bladder, if they have frequent bladder emptying um, or painful bladder. Um, the pelvic floor, when it's tight, it has a connection with the bladder. So it can actually make your bladder spasm. So we go through bladder habit retraining. We go through, um, and then we'll go through like main things with sexual dysfunction that they want to, if they want to have penetration, if their goal is just intimacy with their partners, foreplay. So we go through like what kind of level of intimacy that they want to go to or need to go to. So when they first come in, we really start with just desensitization techniques so that they feel comfortable even touching their own body, touching their pubic bone, um, touching even their inner thighs. Some patients can't even tolerate that. Like the patient's always the boss. So we do very, very slow touch, um, the, uh, the type of touch that they can handle. And then maybe we'll work on the perineum if they can handle that. And then eventually we could try to do internal work where we, we get the muscles to calm down if they're high tone. And then we, we teach them how to use dilators to help stretch the pelvic floor. And we can go through that, but uh, we teach them how to use dilators or a wand, different tools that they can use at home. And a lot of, a lot of like techniques to do at home as well, stretches. And then we also um, talk to them about what sports they like to do or exercise and what modifications they can make in their exercise. We don't tell them to stop doing something. We just make modifications, um, especially people are very sensitive about their workouts and stuff. Right. Don't take away my running. I'm sure you get that a lot. So what's fascinating is what you're saying is it's a lot, right? There's a lot of variety. And then there, it feels like, I don't, I don't I'm putting myself in the situation in, in, in place of a woman who comes to you. And like, I'm wondering, how does a woman feel when she, when she hears all that she's finally come to you for whatever reason, it's, it's enough already. I, 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 I want to introduce with my partner. I'm at the age where like, I re- I need to have penetrative sex if I want to have a kid, um, et cetera. There's some 
motivating factor that's gotten them to this place where it's important enough to them to take care of this part of themselves. And what is their emotional experience like when you they, they come to you and then you, you start telling them these things? What does that look like? I think they're usually, they feel very validated because they're looking mm. at us and they're like, oh my gosh, you've seen this before? Like I haven't, I haven't even, no one knows about this. I haven't been able to find any info about this. So they're definitely validated and they feel like, oh my gosh, I think if anyone's going to help me, it's probably them, you know, they're, they're PJ. Um, and I feel like they just feel like, okay, this was, there is a physical thing going on with me and this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm not crazy validation. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely here. You know, they're telling us their symptoms or work. Sometimes we're asking about symptoms. Oh, what about your bladder? They're like, oh, I didn't even know that had that's anything related. to do with yeah. this. Yeah, like right. we definitely hear oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, so that's. Um, well, that leads me to another question that, you know, I think we wanted to uh, explore with you a little bit, which I had a sense was an issue, which is how often does it happen where women don't even realize like they're having some kind of like hip pain or weakness somewhere or sacroiliac joint pain or something. And they don't even realize that it is connected to some, some sexual dysfunction that they're having. How often does that happen? I think it, it happens a lot. All these things are very interconnected. So I'll have a patient even sometimes come in for a bladder issue or a bowel issue. And they're like, do you have any pain with sex? And they go, oh, only the normal amount. What's that? Like, the normal amount is zero. So <laughs> like, let's work back from there. So it, it they go together a lot. So we make sure that we do like a very comprehensive history at the beginning and really make sure we're getting the whole story from, you know, all aspects, bowel, bladder, sexual function, any kind of orthopedic injury. Et oh yeah. And so. to piggyback off of Claire, like some patients will come in and they're like, Oh, I just ran, like I just did a hundred mile bike ride. And now all of a sudden I'm having pain with sex. And the question is, well, did you hurt your hip? You know, cause hip injuries or SI joint injuries or low back injuries can cause the pelvic floor to spasm and can all of a sudden cause pain with sex when they never had that. So we do assessments on that too. It's super important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I want to just step back like 30 seconds and to sort of like call in the fact that as soon as Claire said, oh, you know, just a normal amount of pain, we all kind of laughed and we're laughing because it's, it's, we know that that's not normal. And I, but I also want to say for any of our listeners who are listening, like we certainly do not mean to laugh at your situation. It's like, wow, it's really shocking and sad that women think that pain is normal and, and that, it, and, and that we just have just learned to, to accept it as normal. So um, I just found that really interesting. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we went back to that real quickly. And we try and like, you know, we'll say it's common, but it's not normal. So that's like something that I think oh, is true. very, yeah. yeah, like, you know, this is very common, but it's not something that, you know, is nor should be normal in your body. Yeah, I think it's probably more common with, um, I guess, older, probably 40 plus women than as it is with younger women. Yeah. So like we have the range, right? And then we're seeing the patients that are premenopausal and menopausal um, that have dryness or their tissues thinning. And um, when you have decreased estrogen, it decreases the muscle plumpness, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So it, it like makes the, the tissue feel super tight for the patients and painful. Um, and those patients come in and sometimes no one's, the doctor hasn't even talked to them, just said to put lube on. So sometimes these patients need extra hormones to plump the tissue. They also need uh, muscle retraining and, and we treat it like vaginismus and like what we were talking about. But, um, you know, that's the other gamut of it. So we see that side. 
Yeah, I actually really wanted to ask you about that because you know I know Anne and I like we we've talked about this amongst our friends and with 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 other you know providers that we've talked to here. I think a lot of women deal with that in, on some level in, in, in their menopausal years. And some women, I mean, for some women, like a great lube does help. And for some women, they're into the HRT, whether it's orally or vaginally. And I think there's, there's a group of women who don't want to, who don't want to take the HRT. And I'm wondering what are some of the other, do you have other recommendations that you give to your patients when they don't want to take the hormones to plump their Plump their pussies, as we say. <laughs> well, hyaluronic acid yeah. works um, very similarly to estrogen with the tissue. So it will like, you know, same thing. We put hyaluronic acid on our face. They make specific ones, you know, for vaginal tissue. I think it's all the same. Probably you could probably use a face. But it does like plump the tissue, create more lubrication, more um, increases blood flow. Like hyaluronic yeah. acid actually works very similarly mm. to estrogen. There's studies that show that like hyaluronic acid can actually produce like the same lubricant amount as estrogen. Estrogen will also plump the tissue. Hyaluronic acid doesn't maybe yeah. necessarily do it as much, mm -hmm. but it could definitely lubricate it as well, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Like Reverie is one. Yeah, Reverie. And Hylogyne is another mm -hmm. one yeah. that you could use. Yeah. And then we also like um, suppositories like Intrarosa is a DHEA. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. And it's basically a like a man-made supplement to like pull estrogen or create more estrogen or something something to do with it I, whatever it does it's a, it's instead of using topical estrogen yeah. if people are scared of it dhea is a nice supplement mm -hmm. to right. use and it does something very similarly which a lot of people do not know about yeah you know actually some of the i, I was recently talking to a provider apparently what it does is it assists your own body in producing estrogen yeah. that's what it does it works like the yam oil you know you yeah. use like yam oil they're uh, like phytoestrogens i think they yeah. like help your body produce more yeah yes 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 so. yes can we talk about women with issues with orgasm do women come in and say listen i'm just not having an orgasm or I just can't. How do you guide women who have issues with orgasm? I'm so happy you asked this, Anne. Like we see a ton of this. So there is a huge variety. So we get patients that never have had an orgasm before. They have painful orgasms during. They don't have painful orgasms. They're, pain, they're, pain, they're having pain afterwards. With orgasms, it's really interesting. This could be, uh, there could be a psychological component. There could be a muscular component, and a lot of patients with endometriosis in their uterus have painful orgasms, so that needs to be ruled out if someone's having a painful orgasm. Um, but we do a lot of work. If they're very, think of the tissue, if the tissue is like very, very tight, or hypertonic, I should say, the, the muscles are being used a lot. When you go to have an orgasm, the muscles actually become so fatigued that it's, the, the orgasm becomes weak, and it's harder to get. So what we do is we find techniques to relax and decrease the tone of the tissue to help them have a stronger orgasm. And how do you do that? Is it like a massage? Yeah. Okay. Manual work, but we also use a lot of dilator work and we use vibrating dilators a lot with patients too. And that seems to help with anorgasmia. And then we do like a lot of relaxation techniques. Like evidence shows that like if you meditate for like 20 minutes before you have foreplay or something, it could help like increase your potential to orgasm. So just finding ways to change their breath patterns, to relax, increase your parasympathetic nervous system. We'll do techniques like that. It is generally a more difficult thing to treat 
because sometimes we don't always know the cause of it. And if there is a psychological cause, like they have to be in therapy for it, you know? And are there medications that would interfere with orgasm? Yeah. So some, um, SSRIs and SNRIs will Sorry, what what are SSRIs? They're antidepressants. They're a specific kind of... I don't know. Serotonin. Zoloft is an SSRI. It's like, so Zoloft, right? Like Kara said, right? Cymbalta. What Lyrica, I guess, affects it. Lexapro can affect it. Mm -hmm. The the best uh, medication to take if you're having orgasm issues would be Wellbutrin. It doesn't affect it as much, right? It's one of the antidepressants that that doesn't affect the orgasm as much. That's really good to know. And I feel like menopausal years is a time when a lot of women start taking antidepressants because of all of the psychological issues that go along along with it. And I wonder, how would you work with them? Let's say she was like, nope, I'm a Zoloft girl. I am taking my Zoloft. Don't take my Zoloft away. But I really want to have orgasms. How would you support them? Well, it's interesting too, because I think it kind of goes back to like, talking to your providers about this stuff. So I think, you know, telling them like, you know, maybe you could discuss with your psychiatrist, does your psychiatrist know about this side effect? And this is a very serious side effect that you're getting from this. It's decreased libido, it's decreased orgasm. Like there might be other options of other medications that work just as well to, you know, treat what this is supposed to be treating without the side effects. So it is important that you do bring this up with your psychiatrist. That's true. Um, or, add, or they'll like add something on. And then you could also do like sublingual hormonal oxytocin sometimes they'll give to help increase libido short term. And there's also something called the screen cream. Oh, yeah. I've tried scream cream. It's awesome. And now we had this whole conversation about it. It's so good. <laughs> Maybe that you've tried all these other antidepressants and nothing is, you know, maybe you're still getting the side effects of all of them, but if you add the scream cream on top of this, like this, that could be the, the answer. Yeah. And you had me at sublingual oxytocin. Hello. <laughs> you can get that? Yeah. I, you know what? I, yeah, one of the, one of the doctors gives it out here. I don't know if it's like hard to, that feels like it could be a new party drug. I'm a little. It's not that common. You're right. It's not it that common, but I've like, heard give it to people. Yeah. yeah. Like real. Yeah. Maybe it's hard to get it approved or something. Right, right. But it's like, yeah, not she, approved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well. There's something for us all to research. I think with this topic and some of our other topics, PT can play a really great role as like a quarterback of care because like you're here, you spend more time with us. We have the privilege of spending more time with our patients than other providers get to. So we can kind of like coordinate the care team in a way um, and make sure that people are getting the care they need from the right provider and make good suggestions and kind of help people navigate the, the medical system in relation to any of these topics, but specifically the orgasm. Yeah. I want to know, what is squirting? I actually really don't understand it. So do you guys know? (laughs) So there's some some mixed evidence on what it can be. Like sometimes, uh, and it depends on the person. So it's hard for us as providers because we're obviously not there. So um, urine, it can be urine. So there, there is like a, like a, coital incontinence basically. So some people are confusing it for like a squirting. It depends. And then there is some evidence that there can be, um, it's fluid from the skein's glands, but the skein's glands also like where that uh, fluid supply is coming from, like some of it may be partially urine. It's not totally clear in the research. So this is like- Right, skein's are like up top near the urethra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's so hard to say because it's like, well, 
there's no true like ejaculate in a female. So like it has to be somewhat urine. I saw something in my in my sex educator training about this. There was like a video of like some of the research that was being done and they captured some of it from a woman and it was like partially the fluid from the skein's gland and partially urine. It was like a little bit of both. Because I mean, in male ejaculate, it was well, from the glands plus some, mm-hmm. but not, not urine. urine. Yeah. So, but can we also ask this question? And I'm so glad you asked this question because these are the kinds of things sometimes that, that can work both ways. On one hand, it could like inspire us to get a little saucy and juicy in our sexuality. And on the flip side of that, it can make us feel terrible. Like, wait, why can't I squirt? I want to squirt. And, the, you know, as I was like, take <laughs> or a, do I want to squirt? Or do I want to? Do I want to like have to like change my sheets every time? <laughs> all the way down to the base anyway so but i also think um why like why would we want to do that like i wonder what what's you know what's the benefit of that well we've never heard of it before until i don't know it came out on social media or, or wherever like i when i was younger i've never heard of this until recently so is it because of the media that we know about it and someone's just talking it up that well we should be squirting i I don't know. I think I think it's very personal in terms of what kind of information you've been digesting over your lifespan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One patient told me that there was classes in like Bushwick, not surprised, like about how to squirt. I, it's so crazy to me. I mean, I'm so, I feel like that'd be a lot of intra-abdominal pressure, yeah. like pushing out. It's probably really bad for you. We don't blood. really know where yeah. it comes from. It doesn't, I don't, it doesn't have anything to do with like our physiological like arousal you know, system. like it, I, I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. So interesting. So I want to ask about, we ta- touched a little bit on um, libido and I want to get your take on the whole concept of when, what women say about libido and the things that affect libido. And I don't know, what, what do you have to say about it? Because for me, there's so much, there's so much that goes into it that I'd like to hear what, you know, approach you, you all take. So I think in perimenopause and menopause, obviously, uh, testosterone is important, right, in um, libido, and our ovaries are what secrete testosterone. So when your ovaries are slowing down and not functioning as much, there's not as much testosterone. Um, So I think that's definitely a part of it. But Erica and I just did a sex counseling program, and one of the things that they talked about a lot uh, is spontaneous desire, right, and arousal. And so spontaneous desire doesn't really happen for for people that identify as female, you know, there tend there needs to be other sort of things like novel situations that happen, dates need to be planned, things like that. Like spontaneous desire doesn't necessarily happen when you've been in like a 30 plus year relationship, which is where you may find yourself right in menopause. So I think it's important with these people just to talk to them about you really need to create desire because that's something that is in a very, you know, spontaneous desire happens in a new relationship. And most people are not in a new relationship when they're in menopause. They might be, but but I imagine if you've been married forever, that might not be a part of it. So I think it all plays a role in it. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that approach because it, it takes into account, you know, the, the individual person and, and so much more. And it's not necessarily a problem to be, be fixed. It's it's to understand our, our desire. So I, I really appreciate that you know, that take. From your perspective, ladies, I would love to know if you could have a woman do three things or 10 minutes a day, like just to maintain the health and well-being of your pelvis for good function and support. What would those things be? Good bowel movements. So make sure that you're not constipated because constipation is straining, really, really affects the pelvic floor. 
So you want to make sure your stool consistency is good and that you're completely emptying and you're not sitting there straining. That would be definitely number Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. of the things. Another one would be like learning to how to quiet your body in an easy, doable way, Mm -hmm. right? Like brain-body connection so that you have like what your body, any, you know, specifically pelvic floor, but it's doing what your brain thinks it's doing. So it's relaxing. It's contracting that you have like a good coordination, a good connection. Yeah. Like touch base with it and be like, am I clenching right now while I'm talking or treating this patient? Okay. Let me relax. You know, that sort of thing. Drink a lot of water so that your bladder is not healthy bladder, healthy bladder habits. So like making sure that the urine in your bladder is very watery and not like filled with just like coffee and tea and seltzer and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm Which will then also improve muscular function too. So yeah. like the muscles, you know, if they are tight. That sounds great. Um, those are really, really good tips. Well, any any final thoughts from, from you then, from the crew at Solstice Physiotherapy? We definitely try to, like, obviously it's very important to see pelvic PT, to come in, get an assessment, but we really try and like empower the patient to understand what's going on in their body, to be able to do stuff on their own. We don't want patients relying on PT. We want them to like understand, yeah. educate, um, and be able to take take treatment like into their own hands. Yeah, we want you to be like independently treating your pelvic floor. We don't want to keep patients here forever. You know, mm-hmm. it's not ethical and it's also like not helpful. So like we want we like to give patients like programs to go off and be independent. Amazing. So okay, so good bowel habits, good urinary habits, and, and doing things that give you a true mind body connection. Those are your your three takeaways. I think they're amazing. Oh, and and how can our listeners find you? They can go to our website at www.solstispt.com. And then we also, our handle on Instagram and TikTok is at Solstice Physio. Oh, and then you can email us at info at solsticept.com. We do free 15-minute phone consults if they have any questions too. Um, and also if they have questions about like a PT in their area, they could email us and we could try and find someone close to them if they don't, if they are not in New York or tri-state area. Thank you so much for coming on the show, ladies. Thank you for having Thank us. You. We love Hub. That was our first team interview. What was your favorite, you know, part of it? Well, I learned about squirting. You've really been wanting to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But what I've realized is that you know, I think we have this idea in our mind that well, a woman squirting must mean that there's some kind of major liquid fly, flying out of the vagina, like a man's ejaculate coming out of his your, you know, penis. But the truth is, I think it's more just like the fluid just flows out of your vagina in a large amount, right? It's not like it's literally like shooting out in the street. So is it coming out of your vagina or your urethra? Well, I don't know exactly, right? I think it does have to do with the skein's gland. They brought up breath, also a yeah. constant theme. It is, it is. And and they that's one of the ways that we really connected when we first met was that they really understand breathing and how so many people are what we call reverse breathers and we're anxious breathers. Because um, like when... When you someone says to you, like, oh, take a deep breath. So many of us go like this. And I know our listeners only have audio if we share this with them, but it's like, and it, you know, what we're doing is like breathing into the top of our chest. And really what we do, what we're not doing is we're not sending our breath down to our pelvic floor at all. And, you know, where our breath goes is where our awareness goes. And they understand that. 
And that's one of the reasons that I really, really love them. They help their patients learn how to breathe in a fulfilling and healthy way. Love Hub is produced by Anne Katari and Liz Ilkenfritz. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Love Hub. That's V-L-U-V-H-U-B. 